Hello everyone, welcome back to Astrology Now podcast. My name is Christine Rodriguez and in this segment I am so excited to introduce you to yet another guest on Astrology Now. His name is Brian Kurzak and he is the founder of Asheville Vedic Astrology and has so much to offer. Um, today we are talking specifically about synastry and compatibility in Vedic Astrology which is always a topic that I'm excited to discuss and so you will hear a brief interlude and then our conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. Hello everyone. Welcome back. Today I'm really excited to introduce a guest, Ryan Kurzak. He is the founder of Asheville Vedic Astrology. He's written two books, The Art and Science of Vedic Astrology, Volume 1 and Volume 2, as well as Kriya Yoga. He is a meditation and yoga teacher, as well as a YouTube Vedic Astrology celebrity. <laughs> Did I miss anything? No, I think that's enough. <laughs> awesome. So how's everything going today? Pretty good. I've got numerous podcasts scheduled, so you're number one, and uh, happy to be doing it with you. Yeah, thank you. So today I was hoping that we could talk about synastry and compatibility in Vedic astrology. It's something that I'm really interested in and I feel like you're very well versed in. I'm very impressed with the work that you've done with synastry. And so for those who are listening who aren't familiar with what synastry is, can you tell us? Yeah, basically what we're doing is we're looking at the astrological influences between people, sometimes even groups. Um, but when we're doing synastry, uh, the idea is that each individual has a particular kind of uh, astrological makeup. And I like to look at them as though they're, they're, they're a different kind of molecule. And so when, you, when different molecules come together, they're going to give, give a different kind of result. And so when it comes to synastry, what we're seeing is um, just how are those molecules or are those elements of each individual person uh, reacting when they come together. And of course, it's through an astrological perspective. Okay, amazing. And so one question actually that I had, I asked if people would be interested in asking any questions. And one of the questions that I got was actually about compatibility between family members. So I was wondering if you ever do compatibility between like mothers and daughters, parents and children, cousins, stuff like that. Yeah, that's actually one of my most interesting uh, kinds of astrology I like to do for numerous reasons. Number one, um, I've often found that when parents take some time to look at their child's chart, if they're open-minded and, and conscious enough, what they're able to see is just how the child has its own uh, unique makeup and has its own unique um, ideas and interests and um, Parents can often see the strengths and the weaknesses within the child to know how to work with that child better. But the other reason I find that interesting is because anytime, just about any time I've ever done uh, compatibility between families or uh, members of the same household, almost always I find the same patterns. So for example, this is a very general example. For example, there might be a family that... Um, every single one of the people in that family have Saturn and Mars uh, either in an angle or, or conjunct mutually aspecting each other. Or you'll find another family 
where you'll find, say, uh, Mercury in a trine from Jupiter. And, you know, five out of the six people in that family all have that pattern somewhere within their chart. So I really find it fascinating to see uh, how people come together in families uh, astrologically that way. Yeah. It's like astrological genealogy. Yeah, exactly. To see those patterns, it's really fascinating. And so for compatibility with partners, what is generally like the thing you look to first? Well, that's good. Um, there's a few things. First of all, uh, what I always do is I look at the, the nature of each of their moons first. So I look at them separately to see what are the mutual influences that are on, uh, say, partner person A's moon, and what are the influences on person B's moon. And what I mean by that is you know, you've got the moon somewhere in the chart, and the moon is going to be in a particular sign, and it's most likely going to be aspected by or with um, certain planets. And so if you get an individual who has, say, um, maybe the moon in the 10th house and the major influences on that moon happen to be, uh, say, Saturn, Mars, or the north node of the moon, well, you know that their, their emotional state, uh, they're going to be used to uh, a little bit more stress within their life. They're probably going to have experienced a little more difficulty emotionally within their life. And if I see person B, whose moon is with, say, Venus or Jupiter or a really nice Mercury, their emotional nature is going to be a little gentler, a little softer. They're going to believe a little more in things like grace and things are just going to naturally work out better for them. So if I see two people that have those distinct differences on their moon, I know that in the beginning, that's going to cause some difficulty because person A is going to see life through the lens of Saturn and Mars, and person B is going to see life through the lens of, say, um, one of these benefics. And I don't know if you've ever tried to get a pessimist and an optimist together, but they tend to not necessarily see eye to eye. So that's, that's the first thing I look at is to see what's going on with their moon, to see what is the nature of their emotional states, and are they going to be able to understand each other? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, number two, what I tend to look at, again, kind of considering benefics and malefics, is uh, which, which tend to be more prominent, say, related to the angles on their individual charts. Because again, if you have more cruel planets or malefics in angles on person A's chart, um, they're going to tend to be able to do hard work, experience hard work. They're going to suffer more usually. And person B, if they've got benefics there, again, there's going to be more of a sense of grace, more of a sense of just believing things are going to work out. And th those are the two fundamental things I like to look at from the very beginning to see, are these people even going to really be able to understand each other in the way that life presents itself. Yeah. And I really like that approach because I feel like in our culture and in astrology, there's a tendency to focus on the relationship. And what you're doing is breaking it down so that it's more about the individual's capacity to have relationship and what the individual is like in relationship. Exactly. That's always, I mean, that, that's got to be first and foremost because and I've seen this all the time. I mean, uh, when you when people do Vedic astrology compatibility, way back when I used to use um, uh, the, the Kuta points and all these sorts of things, you would go through and you would see, wow, this per these two people have fantastic compatibility, and you know they're, they're coming to you because they're bickering over the smallest things and they're they're getting ready to get divorced, and you're thinking, well, why is that the case? And it's because as individuals. 
they actually don't have either both or one of them might not have the capacity to be in a relationship because within themselves, they're not settled or they don't understand the use of the relationship or why it's there for people. And oftentimes you'll see individuals who they're coming to you and they're not asking about compatibility. They're just asking about say how the direction of their life is going to go as a, uh, a couple and so on. And you do the compatibility and it's horrible. I mean, it's the most difficult compatibility you've ever seen, but yet they've been married for 10 years and things are going well for them. And they've got, you know, similar insights into the directions they want to go. And they're happier because as individuals, they have that capacity to, again, see a, a similar destination and to support each other walking towards that. Yeah. And so I feel like traditionally what people looked for in marriage and what would be considered maybe compatible in a chart is probably much different than what we look for now in terms of partner and relationship and what's even possible to have in relationship. And so I'm wondering, has there been anything like where traditionally it may have been said to be more positive for relationship and now it's not so beneficial or vice versa? Um, I think it's more of just uh, a different way of seeing how a relationship is supposed to function. And so personally, I love the philosophy behind uh, Vedic astrology in regards to compatibility. I love that traditional idea because that traditional idea is based more so on the actual blueprint of why we are here as human beings versus what we experience now, which many people seem to, they, like, for example, I, I recently had someone write to me and, um, Again, uh, they were asking about compatibility in relationships and how they just haven't found the one and it goes on and on. And um, their chart is not really relationship oriented. Their chart is more career oriented. Their chart is more creative oriented. So part of their own particular path is to, again, focus on career and to focus on their creativity. And these days, it seems to me when people are looking for relationships, whether they want to admit it or not, what they're looking for is someone else to complete them someone else to kind of fill in all those little uh, psychological quirks and complexes that they got from childhood or in difficult relationships with their parents or weird ideas they get from TV and, uh, you know, modern dramas. And the old way of looking at it, I, I find particularly enjoyable because it, it, it outlines the ideas that we are here not to complete each other, but to support each other on our path. And so, for example, uh, and hopefully I'm answering your question. If I'm not, you can <laughs> restate that when, we, when I get done. <laughs> but, for example, in the Navamsha, you know, everyone looks at the Navamsha or the, uh, the ninth divisional chart. They say it is the chart of marriage. And the reason they say that is because for most people in the world, whether they're going to have good or bad relationships or not, they typically end up being married. So pretty much everyone goes that route eventually somehow, some way. But the Navamsha itself is not specifically a chart for marriage. It is a chart for your purpose. And so if you're able to look at the Navamsha, uh, again, looking at individuals uh, first, you can look at the Navamsha and you can say, oh, look, their Mars is debilitated. So it's likely that when it comes to their purpose, whatever that might be, or if it's a relationship, their Mars being debilitated or in a, a difficult dignity, we know that they're going to have a really hard time picking fights that are worth fighting for in that relationship or in that purpose, which means that when they go into a relationship, maybe you've worked with people where 
one of the partners just can't, they just can't let go of these really petty things. And so they're picking fights that aren't worth fighting for. Or a Saturn, when Saturn has difficulty in the Navamsha, the person is not able to endure the tedious hard work that is actually required to go through a relationship, or they might not be able to endure the difficulties that are, are likely there. For example, when you get married or when you're in a relationship, there's no guarantee that the person you're with, there's no guarantee that they're not gonna get sick and you're not gonna to have to take care of them for 10 years. But if you've got a strong Saturn, and that's part of your purpose, you're able to bear that burden. And then the relationship actually grows stronger, even though it's not about, you know, fulfilling each other. It all comes down to uh, when we're looking at compatibility from the old ways of doing it or the old principles, it's uh, together, are you able to support each other along your path? You, you understand? Does this make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah, Absolutely. And did I miss your question <laughs> or can you restate it? <laughs> well, I asked um, if there were things like in traditional Vedic astrology that would be like positive for compatibility and whether or not it is the same in modern day. And what you answered, though, is that it still just has to do with the individual's capacity to have relationship in general and their willingness to um, get along with others, pick fights worth fighting for, the longevity of the relationship, willing to put in the effort. And so it's not, again, it's not based on the relationship itself, but the individual. Right. Yeah. And, and when it comes to sort of the older ways, I mean, for example, within uh, uh, traditional compatibility, uh, they look at you know, for example, how, how do the, the, the sexual organs of the, the partner match? And so, and, and they keep it very, it's very binary. You know, it's just like, uh, will this work with this person? Do they have, is this person receptive to the way this person approaches intimacy and these sorts of things? And, you know, that's one way that you, you kind of, you can't quite these days just jump on and, and imagine that that is uh, accurate because people are you know, exploring different ways of, of intimacy. So there are certain things which, um, seem a little outdated. However, in the long run, there's always kind of like a, a fundamental principle behind it. So whereas uh, using that example, of the sexuality between two people, well, that could just be plain old, how do they get along in bed? But really what it represents, just like the eighth house, the eighth house isn't sexuality, like the actual act of doing it. It is the ability for people to share intimate experiences together and to understand those intimate experiences. So from what I found, the old ways of looking at it can and usually are still applicable. It's just that I, I think the way humans are these days, um, it's, it, it doesn't quite, they're not quite necessarily following the patterns that, that were laid out early because they seem to be too restrictive when really I think it's just a misunderstanding of kind of what relationship is all about. Okay. Yeah. So this actually brings me to another question. Jupiter has traditionally been the karka for husband, significator of husband. And now some astrologers are saying that Mars is actually what we would look for now for a husband in chart. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, each planet, every planet represents an aspect of partner. Um, so for example, like, and this even goes to the idea of the moon, for example, many people look at the moon as being representative of the mother. However, uh, in, in Jaimini astrology, which is a very wonderful, uh, lineage of Vedic astrology, um, what Jaimini says to look at, uh, along with the moon is Mars. 
And that's because while the moon for the mother is that caring, nurturing, receptive, growing aspect of the mother, well, Mars is the aspect of the mother which can fight for their child and defend their child and solve their problems and, and, and do what they need to do to keep that child alive. So the same is true um, with these ideas of is Jupiter the the husband, is, is Mars. Um, personally, from the ideal perspective, the, the, the blueprint of it all, Jupiter is considered to be that because within a relationship, um, you might like this, you might not, but uh, I was always taught astrologically that if there's a problem in the relationship and they're married, it's always the man's fault. <laughs> and I, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and I, I, I never believed it. I never, you know, of course, because I'm a man. However, as the years went by, um, I started to recognize that most of the difficulties in the relationship that occurred were because of the lack of my own wisdom, the lack of my own ability to play that uh, positive polarity role within the relationship through the, through the lens of wisdom, which is what Jupiter represents. Jupiter is that planet of... Uh, uh, expansive wisdom where everything fits together and everything makes sense. And so when it comes to having a relationship, when the relationship can be directed intuitively, like a dance, you know, one person leads, one person follows, and that changes. When Jupiter is strong in that regard, the relationship tends to function better. Um, I can understand why people might think of Mars as being that representation these days. And that's pretty much because again, most people are very uh, egotistically driven and that's kind of how Mars functions. He wants to get things done. He wants to have it his way versus Jupiter, which is what's the best for all of us. So ideally we want to be focusing on, on Jupiter. Whereas we can look at Mars again, if we're thinking about a husband uh, for the husband's capacity to fight for what is worth fighting for and to uh, not, not stress out the relationship or the partner by being too aggressive because a good Mars isn't aggressive and forceful. A good Mars is like a, a farmer who just wants to plow his field and take care of his crops. But if an army comes along, of course, he's going to turn into a soldier and, and try to defeat that army. It, Mars is not the soldier all the time trying to go out and fight things. So it, there's some nuances there, but every, every planet has a, uh, has a representation in everyone in your life, whether it's husband, spouse, child, authority figure, a guru, whatever it might be. Okay. Yeah. And so something else that came up in my mind, you know, and it may just be more of like a subtle aspect of that energy. And I've done some of this myself, but again, like you are <laughs> the guru in this situation. Um, how have you seen these energies play out in same sex couples? Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, my website and my work is Asheville Vedic Astrology, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Asheville very much, but um, I think someone called it the lesbian capital of the world. So uh, <laughs> uh, spending a lot of time in Asheville, uh, most of 50% or more of my friends were um, mostly uh, female-female partners, a uh, few male-to-male -male and so on, uh, and a few um, other things which or whatever they were, usually polygamous and so on. But um, yeah, when, when you see that, having had a lot of experience with that, what you most always find is that within that relationship, within any relationship, there is still going to be 
uh, a positive and a negative polarity, a masculine and a feminine polarity. There, there's still going to be a polarity. There's still going to be a partner which is um, more active and directing, the leader of the dance. There's going to be a partner which is maybe a little more, follows a little bit more. So what you do is when you're doing um, relationship work in that regard, you just kind of have to observe for a little bit and find out who, who is the one that, that has the more masculine type role and who is the one that has the more receptive feminine type role? And then you, you essentially assign um, uh, the appropriate planets to the appropriate person. And then it, it works out fine. You don't, have to, you don't have to do any you know, astrological gymnastics to, to work it out. Great. Perfect. And so what are some indicators, and this may be kind of like a challenging question, but what are some like key factors that you see that generally are really positive for charts? Um, usually it's really nice to see if people have um, benefics or gentle planets like Jupiter, um, Mercury, the moon, Venus, if they are overlapping in important places within the chart um, versus say having uh, cruel planets impacting each other. So for example, if you look at someone's chart and you see that the one person's sun is right on top of another person's Saturn, which means their Saturn is right on top of the other person's sun, essentially that creates uh, what's called a logitatia vashta for that relationship or an avashta, a planetary state for that relationship. And whenever, whether this happens between two people or in, uh, in an individual's chart, that sun-Saturn energy is going to be active every single time those people come together. And what is that? Well, for the person who has um, their Saturn with the other individual's sun on top of it, um, that person is going to feel like they just can't ever do enough or they're always being criticized or they're always being looked down upon versus uh, when we have the person Saturn on top of the sun, hopefully I'm getting this straight in my head, uh, the other person will feel restricted or like they're not able to grow as much as they're meant to, or um, they don't have the opportunities that they're meant to, because that's what happened when you, when, when this Lajitadi Vashta of the sun and uh, Saturn get together. But for example, let's say that um, we have a person who has their moon, a really nice full moon, maybe in the ninth house, and they meet someone who has Jupiter in that same sign. So it's, it's falling within their ninth house. Well, now their mental or their emotional state and their sense of self and who they think they are is now going to have that, that expansive, uh, optimistic, graceful power of Jupiter on their moon, which means when they come together, <clears throat> excuse me, when they come together, uh, when they come together, they are going to, that one person is going to feel uplifted and free and clear and and so seeing seeing combinations very simply of benefics overlapping other benefics and trying to avoid um, a, a lot of the overlap of cruel planets or mutual aspects of, of cruel planets that tends to go a long way now of course there are cancellations and there are things that can overcome difficulties but from the very beginning aside from looking at them as individuals trying to see how planets are 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 impacting each other that will give you a very clear indication of what the personality and life of that relationship is actually going to be like. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like the nodes 
overlapping planets, specifically Moon and Venus, <laughs> because this is something that I've spent a lot of time researching. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, let's say if someone has their Moon come into the sign of Taurus and their partner's Rahu comes into the sign of Taurus overlapping. Well, anytime the nodes overlap um, another person's planet, it's going to bring out a lot of issues with that planet. So for example, <clears throat> let's take uh, Let's take Venus. You mentioned Venus. So if we get Venus, say, with Rahu, that, that tends to be the more difficult version. When we get, say, one person's Rahu uh, on top of another person's Venus, what that Rahu is going to do is it's going to really create um, a lot of confusion about what that person really needs to be comforted, to be fulfilled uh, within relationships. So it can create sometimes uh, a bit of a toxic confusion within relationships. Now, of course, you can grow through that. So it's not always bad, but that's typically what happens. When you get K2 on top of Venus, um, since K2 is a liberating factor, it's a, it's a factor that, that deals with uh, endings and resolutions and liberation. Well, oftentimes those relationships, say from an intimate perspective, unless it's very spiritually directed, uh, tends to fizzle out over time because that person's K2 is essentially exhausting or liberating that person from all these intimate ideals they have about Venus. And the ideal, again, is that it moves the person into a space of uh, inner clarity because now they're not addicted to the things of Venus. Um, but that's not the way it goes for most people because they want to have that juiciness of Venus within their life um, or the moon, for example. Rahu is, is difficult on the moon in, in many circumstances and situations. Usually it causes a person to not necessarily have a real clear understanding uh, about what they need emotionally. So you get one person's moon with Rahu on top of it. It's going to create a lot of confusion about what is required in that relationship to have emotional stability. And it's, it's very drug-like, meaning I don't know if you've ever interacted with someone who's had like addiction issues, but those people just can't think straight. It's like they don't even know what they're supposed to do from one day to the next. When you get Rahu and Moon together overlapping, oftentimes the relationship will have that kind of constant drama of not really being able to get a grasp of what each partner really needs, you know, to feel, to feel emotionally confident. Um, is this something, maybe this is the wrong question, but is this something you've been working out with clients or is this something that you're dealing with yourself? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's something that I've done a lot of work on with clients and just a lot of research on in general. I've spent a lot of time looking at charts of long-term couples, couples that have had really terrible falling outs and just looking at um, all different types of relationships and how this industry is matching. What have you found? You know, I've actually found it's um, really interesting. I've pulled up several charts of couples that are known as like the key couples of Hollywood or whatever. And I did notice a correlation between the moon and Venus. Or excuse me, K2 and Venus. And K2 and Venus have been in the same sign like repeatedly. And so for me, it just seems like it has to do with past life, coming back, reconciling. And so that's something that was really surprising. It was really surprising for me to see that often. Yeah, the past, the past life issue is important to keep in mind because um, that is, uh, when, whenever you see K2 on, on any planet, you know, for example, one person's K2 on another person's whatever planet it might be, that is going to bring in past life issues that are getting worked out between the two of them. 
one way or the other related to what that planet represents. So it's good. Yeah, for sure. It's really interesting stuff. And so how do you feel when there are like nodes on the ascendant? So if someone is a Gemini rising and then their partner has Rahu in Gemini or Ketu in Gemini, do you feel like it's a similar type of energy? It is. I mean, it's, it's any, so any, any personal planet that, that is related to the nodes is going to have that. Um, and the moon is one, the moon, the sun, uh, the ascendant degree or the ascendant itself, these are considered to be points of uh, essentially how the personality or the, the individual comes through. Also looking at, at the Atmakarika or the planet that's in highest degree. And um, anytime you get nodes on top of um, another person's ascendant, it, it's, you, you really have to go deep into the compatibility because that's, you, you can't judge it just off of that. And the reason I know that is because way back when I was brand new at all of this, um, you're familiar with Ernst Wilhelm? Who, I'm sorry. Uh, Ernst Wilhelm, he created the Kala software. Yeah. Um, well, I had been, I had been kind of pen pal buddies with him for probably 10 years or so. And, um, one, one time he invited me to come out and visit him. And I said, well, let me look at your chart. So I looked at his chart and we're, we're both, uh, we're both Virgos and we both have the nodes, um, on that axis, except they're, they're flipped, they're reversed. Cause I think he's about nine years older than me. And I remember as soon as I saw that, I thought to myself, Oh God, I don't know if I want to spend that much time with him. <laughs> I'm like, it's fine. It's fine via email, but I'm like, this is, this could, this, he could be maybe annoying as anyway. So uh, what, I, what I said to him was, uh, I was like, well, um, I'll come out to visit, but I'll only stay for a day or so because, you know, I'm not, you might not like me very much. <laughs> That's how I said it. <laughs> and he said, whatever, come on out. So I came out and it turned out to be, we've been, he's become one of my best friends and uh, we get along very, very well. So the point I'm getting at with that is when it comes to the nodes um, being on, on angles of another person's chart, usually it's kind of extreme. It can go one way where the person drives you out of your mind. It's almost like you can't even stand to hear their voice. Uh, the other way it could be that it's like you have so much in common, you see things so easily. And that's probably because of some kind of uh, past life tie there related to K2. So that one, I don't have a, a, a very clear answer on that. Usually I do the full compatibility before I, I answer that question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so there was something else that I wanted to ask you about. Um, because sometimes if you are, and I mean, this could be with a client or if you're doing research or if you're pulling up data, sometimes you don't know the birth time. And so like bringing the planets into each other's houses can be a little bit trickier to research because you don't have a birth time. You know what I mean? Right. So what would you say in your studies is something very like, when you're overlapping charts, you've seen something particularly good or has maybe surprised you? Well, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, not, not having the correct birth time, you know, that is very important for things like uh, timing of events and getting very specific into various areas of a person's life. When it comes down to compatibility, plain and simple, really, really all you need is just to know what signs the planets were in. Uh, when each person, the day each person was born, because all to get the, the, the purest, truest version of compatibility, all you're doing is seeing how does one person's planets within the science interact with the other person's planets. That's it. It's almost like, again, you're looking at uh, the, the Lajitati of Vashtas between those two planets. Um, 
the reason you, you need to use the houses is to see where issues are going to be. So for example, um, maybe there is a Saturn-Mars combination. One person's Saturn is on another person's Mars. Well, that's going to cause a lot of st stress and friction between um, trying to get things done quickly, trying to push the issue, feeling like things are moving too fast or things breaking down and suffering in that way. But the reason you need to know the houses is because that will tell you where is that going to happen. You know, if, if, if those two things are found, say, within uh, the third house, there's going to be conflict and stress between, say, their friends or related to their hobbies. If it's in the 10th house, it's going to have to do with career. The, the partner's going to say, you work too much, you're ruining our relationship. Or if you have um, moon and Jupiter overlapping and say that the person's moon is being overlapped by another person's Jupiter in the, sign, in the fifth house. Well, that's going to show if it's all good, good dignity that that's going to give a great boost to the person's creativity and their progeny and their children and so on. So the houses themselves, what they're doing for you when it comes to compatibility is really telling you where are the good and the bad issues going to show up. Um, so when I look at, when I look at a person's chart charts from the position of houses, what I'm really trying to figure out is where are the good things going to come in between their, their charts and where are the bad things going to come in? So that's how I, that's how I use the houses when I'm overlapping two charts. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And so something that I got a question about recently and I thought would be a good question for you is what if you're doing synastry between two charts and the people don't have any planets in the same signs or any planets overlapping? Um, if none of the planets, I mean, that's going to be rare uh, just because, you know, now you've got... In, in, in many chart, well, in every chart, you've got, say, the nine planets that you use. And there's going to be some kind of interaction somewhere, meaning that, like, uh, you know, Venus might not be getting any aspect from any other planets, but, say, Venus is in the moon's sign. So right there, you, you already have a, a Venus-moon energy coming together. So between two charts, if none of the planets are, are overlapping, it's going to be really rare if they're not aspecting each other. Um, but it, let's say that's happening too. You have to remember that the planet is still in a sign and that sign is still uh, dominated by a planetary energy. So for example, uh, if you take the person's sun and it overlaps into Leo of the other person's chart, but there are no other, no other planets there, um, that sun is still going to feel a very proud, strong, structured, intelligent energy coming from Leo when these two people come together. So we always have to remember that even if planets aren't interacting by way of aspects or combinations or conjunctions, they're still aspecting because it would be like if you came to my office and I went to your office, well, you're still going to be influenced by everything around here that, that I have. And that's kind of like me. It's not me, but you're going to have to work with that. Um, so using the signs is still going to give you something very useful to look at. Excellent. Yeah. And so this is just like, hopefully the listeners have caught onto this by now, but people, I mean, I still get people who will email me and be like, so I'm a Leo and my partner is a Capricorn. Are we compatible? And it's just like, there's so much more than that. You know, it's like so much more complicated. You can't just look at one sign? Exactly. <laughs> okay. And another question that I had for you is I feel like most people, especially young people, if they don't have access to astrology or they can't afford an astrologer, they go to the internet, they type in compatibility calculator, and they 
calculate their compatibility and um, and maybe they're in this perfect relationship, but then they calculate the compatibility and it's horrible. So what do you have to say for computer-generated compatibility? You know, uh, that's, that's a hard one because, um, for example, uh, the astrological apprenticeship, the four-year astrological apprenticeship program that I started about five years ago, um, some of the individuals are now graduating into the year where they have to do uh, actual sessions with people, donation-based sessions with people. And it's, I'm, I'm having a, a great time with it because, you know, out of the 60 people that seem to start every year, by the time we get down with year four, there's like, I don't know, six or seven people left. Um, and now what I do is I set it up such that people request donation-based sessions and I send them out to all of my students. So they're able to, to get it going. And, um, my students are like, are these the people you have to work with all the time when it comes to astrology? Some of them are asking me crazy questions, things that cannot be answered via astrology. So I, the reason I'm telling you this story is because uh, I think people are really looking for a lot out of astrology. And I think astrology has a lot to offer. Um, I, I, I don't have, for example, Ernst Wilhelm, he's got some compatibility reports, which I find to be really accurate. And that's primarily because what he does first is there is what is your capacity for relationship yeah. so what he like the, the very first compatibility that that, that that he gives you when it comes to this is what is your own ca capacity for a relationship and so it starts there um, but even then that doesn't take into account say the level of development that, that, that people have for example um, you might have a very difficult chart or someone might have a very difficult chart for a relationship and yet, from a very early age, you've been conscientious, you've worked on yourself, you've meditated, you've worked on your problems, you've tried to grow into a more mature human being. And so by the time you get there, uh, some of those computer-generated reports, just like a lot of mechanical cookie-cutter astrologers, it's not going to be accurate because what that's doing, it's only taking into account these very basic fundamentals that are within your chart. So we have to remember that the chart itself is a snapshot of the potential karmas that were there the moment you were born. However, from the moment you're born, if you've got any kind of conscious awareness at all, you are likely evolving through that and working with it very differently. So by the time you get to be 18, 19, 20, 30, 40, you're approaching that from a different perspective. So when it comes to computer-generated reports, especially with compatibility, it's much better to work with an astrologer that you can develop rapport with because that astrologer then being a living, breathing, uh, ch changeable being uh, can see, okay, well, this is where the person's coming from. And so now I know how to interpret what's going on within their chart because I see how they are now. So I think those things can be useful, but there's never going to be a, there's never going to be a shortage of people trying to get a, a, a quick bit of information and then buying into the superstition of all that stuff. So that's just, that's the reality of internet astrology, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, it always comes back to the individual. Once again, it's the individual and their capacity to change and work. And I feel like this is it. You know, I love your work because it's not fatalistic and we can utilize astrology so that we can pinpoint our own shortcomings and our own issues and work towards a better, higher self as an individual. And that's going to allow us to have relationship, but it can really just highlight the cracks that we need to work on. And it's not set in stone. So if you see something in your chart that looks really bad or really negative, it's like, okay, now you see it. Is it true about yourself? Where can you go from here? And I feel like having rapport with an astrologer can make that 
so much easier. Trust and rapport with an astrologer and being willing to put in that work and effort can be really helpful. Right. And so do you get clients that come to you and they're like very much hung up on Saturn in the seventh house or their debilitated seventh house ruler? Yeah. And that's, that's a very difficult thing. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I just finished up as of, I don't know, this week or last week, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I finished up an 86 series video on my YouTube channel on, um, uh, each ascendant as though we're looking at like the perfect blueprint of that ascendant. And the reason I did that was so that people could go look at that. And, and rather than stressing out about say, you know, my, my Saturn is debilitated or whatever else they find difficult within their chart, um, by knowing what the, the, the highest manifestation of that ascendant energy is, um, our goal is to learn to grow into that. Like, for example, let's say a person has a very difficult sun, which means that they're inconsistent. You can't count on them for anything. Uh, they don't have any great inspiration. So they're going to go through life feeling that way until they decide, you know what, I'm going to commit to something, even though I hate it, because that's what's going to happen with a difficult sun, even though I hate it until I recognize that, oh, commitment can actually be a good thing. And um, I'm going to I'm going to try to find something to inspire myself in life rather than sitting around thinking I don't have any inspiration at all. And if they're able to work towards those things, then let's say they pass on tomorrow. Well, now when they come back around again, theoretically, their son is going to be in a much better position. It's going to reflect the work that they've done. So the difficulty with astrology that I would love to get across to more people is that it's it's not fatalistic in the sense of you have to be stuck with what you got. But the reason many people prefer the fatalism is because that's a lot less work <laughs> than doing the work, you, you see. So anyway, um, what was the question again? No, that answered it. It was just being fatalistic and getting hung up on aspects in a chart that might be negative. But what it always comes down to is doing the work and also being aware of the lessons of what our chart is trying to teach us because the chart is set up for our spiritual progression. It's not there to hurt us. It's, it's there to help us progress. You know what I mean? And so by being aware of the lessons, we can be more mindful of investing more work in those areas of life. And like you were just saying, no work goes unwasted. And so even if we're working in this life and maybe we're not seeing the progress exactly that we were hoping for, the outcome that we were hoping for necessarily, we will certainly reap the benefits in the next life. Right, right. Yeah, the whole, the whole idea of astrology, I mean, as an astrologer, one of the, if you can, once we get the hang of this, it, it helps out a lot because when, you, when you're able to kind of see the mentality of the, of the person you're working with, you, you in a sense learn what to expect out of them. For example, Saturn-Moon combinations are very difficult to work with when it comes to astrology. Why? Because Meaning the client or, or someone you know has, has the Saturn-Moon combination. Unless there are other factors mitigating that. If it's just Saturn-Moon, that's it. So just that in and of itself. Um, what, what often happens is uh, a person can't see anything other than the problems, which means you as an astrologer, might see 20 other things that are just wait, doors that are just waiting to be opened. I mean, they have 20 other beautiful things within their chart. But if they have a Saturn moon prominent on the ascendant in the 10th house uh, with their Atmakarika, however it might work out, um, all they're going to see is the fact that right now they're in a dark room filled with cobwebs. 
and they're not going to be able to see these 20 other doors. And as an astrologer, that's frustrating because you can't take them and open the door for them. Um, but that can, that can help you somehow understand their psychology. Number one, so that you don't get so caught up in uh, trying to change them, but then it requires you as an astrologer to try to work out ways to, how can you get through to them, which is not always easy, but uh, that's much different than say, again, if someone has uh, the Jupiter moon combination, that person is going to see opportunities everywhere. Like you as an astrologer, let's say this person has a really well-dignified Jupiter and it's being aspected by the moon. You as an astrologer, you're not going to have to do any work at all. I mean, you're simply, all you have to do is show up, start looking at the chart and saying whatever pops into your mind and they're going to take it and they're going to find a million opportunities with what you said. So what's interesting is as an astrologer, seeing the kind of mental states that people have and learning to work with it. But the other beauty of astrology philosophically is if people can learn that, then eventually they can start to recognize, oh, this Saturn moon combination that makes me see no opportunities, that's not who I really am. That's just a pattern that I have. And if you can help a person see that, usually it happens through meditation or yoga practice, which is why I focus more on Kriya Yoga teaching these days. Uh, if you can, if you can help them see that, then they're able to rise above it. And then maybe they're able to look around just for an instant to see all those other doors. So there's a lot of good things that an astrologer can glean from the chart, mainly on how to work with the individual and hopefully how to guide them through some of those difficulties that they might have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And these are things that are really difficult to do in one session. And I believe this is still true about you, but first of all, you do compatibility with your clients. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Yes. And then you work with them long-term. Yeah. All, all the clients that I have, you know, I'm not taking any, 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 any new clients. I haven't for probably at least two years now, uh, taking any new clients. So all the clients I have are, are long-term clients. And, um, you know, I, I do still teach astrology through, um, the, uh, um, the self-directed astrology program. And the reason I'm focusing still more on teaching is because I want people to learn the principles so that they can kind of get it themselves and grow through it. But I do, I do compatibility with my clients because, you know, for years, for years, I would do my best on all these charts. I would really dig in and go at it. And um, I would notice that there would be some people that it was just like meeting your old friend and you could talk for hours to them. And the information that kind of came through was just brilliant. And there were other people that as soon as you, you sat down and talked with them, it was like a heaviness just settled in. Yeah. And no matter what came out of your mouth, like it was wrong. Or no matter what came out of their mouth, it just like kind of tweaked you a little bit. And I started wondering, why is that the case? And so I started looking, doing compatibility between the charts of people that that was happening with, and I saw patterns, so much so that I began projecting up, which means if I had never met a client before, before I even did anything, I would do compatibility with them to see, is this going to be this way or is it going to go that way? And I would do the session, I would take my notes, and I began to see that that, that actually worked out well. So the reason I do that for those of you who are listening that might want to give me a hard time about this and believe me, I've had a couple decades of a hard time about it. So you don't have to add to it, but um, <laughs> the, the reason, the reason I do it is because um, this is why I have the long-term clients that I do because you don't get along with everybody. There's a certain kind of uh, energy that happens when you, when you are interacting with someone uh, that you do have compatibility and synergy with. And so I personally don't want to waste someone else's time or someone else's money and time or my time 
working with them in such a way that they get done and think, well, that, you know, we didn't get along at all. That wasn't worth it versus working with an individual whom I know I can share information with and we will have that rapport and they will grow from it. But also to take it a step further, after I got done doing those compatibilities and watching that, and it's not personal, it's just how my chart interacts with their chart. So it's not like, I think that's the issue a lot of people have with it is they think I'm making a judgment on them, but it's not. It's a judgment between how are we going to interact together? Just like if I'm going to play music with somebody, I want to play music with someone who loves Led Zeppelin and Stone Temple Pilots because we have that in common. I'm not going to go play music with someone who wants me to play like old country or jazz because I don't know how to do that. So it's not a personal thing. But the way I took it beyond that was I began looking at what kind of information can I actually give you that will be helpful? And what I mean by that is um, everyone has areas in their chart where astrology will work beautifully for them. And, and this is kind of a, uh, a folklore that, that comes with astrology, especially popular astrology. People think that astrology can tell them anything that they want and it will work out beautifully every single time if the astrologer knows enough or if they get it just right and so on. You know, they make up all these excuses. But really within the chart, you can see where you are going to benefit from astrology and where you're not. So when I discovered that, then I, I moved a little bit more away from the compatibility. And I just decided to start telling people, look, tell me what you want to know and I'll tell you what I can, what I can actually answer for you. And that all comes down to, to Jupiter mainly. Wherever Jupiter is in good dignity or better dignity or has a lot of support from its friends um, in various Vargas, divisional charts, that will tell you where a person can get the best uh, information astrologically. For example, one woman I know, who's a, she's been into astrology probably longer than I have, and um, she's a lovely woman into Ayurveda and deep spiritual practice, and she always comes to me with these questions about relationships. I can answer anything else for her, business, relationship to her children, um, and those usually come out accurate. But she's always hung up on this idea of relationships. And that is the one thing in her chart where Jupiter is situated such that the astrologer is never going to be able to give them good advice, whether it's me, whether it's someone else. And maybe you've noticed this, where people jump from one astrologer to another trying to find a different answer for the same problem. Right. The reason that's the case is because in their chart – it's just not supported that astrology is going to give them the advice that they need because they're meant to, they're meant to come to that information through either life lessons, living, uh, hard work, mistakes, or just trying to grow through it. So the beautiful thing about all this uh, is that, number one, you can see who are you going to work well with. And if you can find that, you're going to have a lovely clientele. I mean, you're going to have a, a thriving practice because you are working with the people essentially that you are kind of meant to work with. And you're not just casting the net and bringing anything that you want or anything that's out there. Um, and number two, you can then be very honest and authentic with your clients by saying, look, based on what I see in your chart, these are the things I can actually give you good information on. These other things, they're not within my scope or they're not within my realm of being able to, to speak to you about that. And again, people take issue with that because they think that I'm holding back, but it's just, it's just part of the laws of nature, which is what astrology is all about. <laughs> well, and it's a service to them as well, because it's not like you're continuously saying that maybe in two months, we'll check in again and then do this and da, 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 and keep taking their money when you can clearly see in their chart that this isn't going to be helpful for them. Right, right. 
And again, it's like it, usually uh, the best I can do is with with like metaphors or analogies. Like the music thing was one, or you know, I was a massage therapist early on in life, and my my main focus was on um, uh, craniosacral therapy, which is a very subtle kind of uh, work and, and energy work. And um, you know, if people came to me and they wanted me to do deep tissue trigger point therapy, well, that's just not I I'm not going to do a very good job of that. <laughs> so, so the, the way I look at this is like you're saying, it's so that individuals get. They're, they're getting the value of what they need and um, we're not wasting anyone's time because life is precious and we don't really, it's good if we don't waste our time in that way. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. And for me, when people are, if it seems like people have been hopping around astrologers and we're having a session and they're like, oh, well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said this. And I'm just like, okay, I understand. Which is normal. You know, sometimes you want to have different experiences with different astrologers and that's like, whatever, you know. But sometimes when you look at a chart, it does show some emotional wounds or some scars, you know, wounds that we carry with us through lifetimes sometimes. And that needs to be worked out in counseling. Right, exactly. And I'll refer them, you know, like I think maybe a coach. I think a relationship coach is going to be very positive, or I think a therapist to help you through these things, because there are things that we're aware of, and there are things that we can see in astrology, and as astrologers, it's our duty to refer them to the place that we think they're going to thrive the most, and it may be another astrologer, it may be a coach, it may be a therapist, or something of that nature, but it's not our job to continuously see clients that we're not sure we can help. Right. And that, that brings up a very important point too. It is, you know, what is the skill set that you have as an astrologer? Um, you know, for example, I studied all kinds of alternative medicine and, and being a craniosacral therapist and, and so on. Uh, there are certain things that I could work with them on because I have the skill sets in that. Um, but I'm not a relationship counselor. I, I don't know these techniques like uh, eye movement desensitization and EMDR and so on to help them. And so that is an important point is that many astrologers seem to think that because they become an astrologer, they can help with everything. Whereas you're astro- as an astrologer, your role is information sharing. Which means, like you said, if you see uh, difficulties with the emotional body, again, difficulties with the moon and so on, then yes, it is, it is it, unless you're a counselor or a psychologist or so on, that you need to say, look, you need to work this out with someone with that skill set. And um, going along with that, uh, one of the beautiful things we can see with astrology is what will work for a person typically, you know, whether it's gemstones. For example, I love gemstones. I don't have a wonderful chart for benefiting from gemstones. I love them, though, and I, I do. I have a, a feeling response from them when I wear them. But there are there are certain people that uh, gemstones are, are highly supported, which means you give them a stone and things just work out beautifully for them. Whereas other people, based on how their Mars is situated, it's not necessarily going to be that way. So even the, the remedies that we see in Vedic astrology, it's it's promoted as though the astrologer is able to say, use this remedy, use that remedy, and therefore everything will be great. But it is it is the astrologer that's done the work that's able to see, well, will a gemstone work? Will mantra work? Will service work? Will positive affirmation work? All of that is within the chart, and it just takes some time to, to see that. So, um, and what you mentioned about uh, clients coming to you, seeing who've been to other astrologers. Well, yeah, that's, that's an issue because they're looking for something different. Um, and for you, if you don't know this already, you, you might want to start checking uh, if there are combinations between Saturn and Mercury within their chart. 
because anytime there's a combination between Saturn and Mercury, um, depending on where it's placed, but usually it just has to be there, uh, the person will never feel like they're getting enough information. So whether they go to the best astrologer, they can go to the, the, the best astrologer possible for them, and that astrologer can out, outline most beautiful things for them. And if that person has a Saturn and Mercury, they're still going to go, I just don't think that's enough. I just don't think that's right. I need to go talk to somebody else. And so again, if you can find a way to speak and you let me know how you do this, because I haven't figured it out yet. If you can find a way to speak to a Saturn Mercury person in that way, if it's, and you're able to get through to them that this is a pattern that they have, well, then they can start to reflect upon that. And then maybe they'll start to trust and develop faith and, and benefit from what is being shared to them. So whether it's an emotional wound, whether it's Saturn and Mercury, there are all different reasons why people kind of jump around in that regard. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it's so informative. I feel like I could keep asking questions, but we're at the hour mark. Well, we can do it again some other time if you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add about compatibility or anything else? Where can people find you? Um, yeah, so basically my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ryan's Vedic Astrology, uh, that's a wonderful place to go. I don't, there's years and years of videos on there. There's numerous playlists um, related to different aspects of learning astrology. There's a free 52 uh, series class on there and, and numerous other ones. Um, so I'd recommend going there. Also, if you're interested in learning astrology, um, I believe it's vedic Astrology dot teachable.com that is a that is a a four-year apprenticeship course that has been condensed down into two years and it's self-paced now but it's everything that i've taught any of my apprentices and some bonus material so astrologically those are the best places to find me these days <laughs> perfect yeah excellent thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it well, i appreciate you you asking me and again like i said if you want to do it again sometime i'm i'm, I'm home so <laughs> i'll be emailing you'll be hearing from me all right well thank you so much have a wonderful day Thank you so much for listening until the end of this segment. I hope that you had as much fun listening to it as I had recording it. Obviously, Ryan is just a wealth of information. He's been doing this for a long time. If you are interested in studying astrology with him or studying Kriya Yoga with him, you can go to his website, ashevillevedicastrology.wordpress.com. And then of course, on YouTube, he has tons of free content on astrology, typing in Ryan Kurzak Astrology. If you would like to schedule a reading with me, please email me at astrologynowpodcast at gmail.com or visit my website, innerknowing.yoga. You can also follow my Instagram, astrologynow underscore podcast, and on Twitter, astrologynow underscore. Again, my name is Christine Rodriguez. This is Astrology Now. Thank you so much.